Welcome to Sunday Morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and in response to the events of the amazing resurrection at Easter, it now becomes our job to discern how we respond to the events of Holy Week and Christ being raised from the dead. We are to discern how we are being led to live, to change our lives, to care for others, to welcome others to Christ's table. This is our call and our challenge. Let's do this together. Come on in. Our first lesson is just as Vicki was describing, Psalm 139. We will have verses 1 through 12 read, and then verses 23 and 24. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. Now verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Over the multitude of generations, uncounted generations, people have turned to the scripture for words of comfort. They found solace, they found strength in those words. They have heard and read words like, let not your heart be troubled. And in that day, it was a comfort, but this is not that day. Or they've turned on another day, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is not that day. Or come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But this is not that day. For this day, the scripture tells us that not only is there a word of consolation, a word of solace and strength, but there's a word of warning, a word that we are to take seriously. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven 
is like a man who sowed good seed in the field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. This is the word of the Lord. Our word today is not a word of comfort. It is a word of caution and a word of warning. In that day, there was a seed that resembled wheat, and as it grew, resembled wheat, but it was distinctive enough it could be recognized. It was darnel. And darnel, when mixed with wheat and baked or when consumed, was a poison. And the enemy in this story by night has come and sowed darnel in the midst of the wheat. And this is a story that tells us at the beginning about the nature of evil. Evil is a dark, foreboding, forbidding, sinister, wicked, invasive and evasive reality in our life. Many, many years ago, I wanted to understand the nature of evil more fully. So I turned to some of my old seminary theology textbooks, and I could not find the word evil in those books. And I wondered then, where does one find words about the nature of evil. And I read Moby Dick, Dracula, Phantom of the Opera, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the portrait of Dorian Gray. And after consuming those books and others, trying to grasp the very nature of evil, I realized all of those books were a century old. Where do we look for words that invite us and help us to understand the nature of evil today? And then I thought about Snow White and the evil queen. The Little Mermaid and Ursula, the sea hag. One of the great names of evil of all times, cruel devil, pronounced Cruella Deville from 101 Dalmatians. 
Gaston in Beauty and the Beast, Scar from The Lion King, the wicked stepmother in Cinderella, Jafar from Aladdin. The animators of the Disney full-length feature films have found ways of capturing symbols of the very nature of evil, not unlike the authors I read from a century ago. And after reading those books and others, and after viewing every one of the full-length feature films looking for symbols of the nature of evil, I still had only the beginning of a sense that I was just on the verge of understanding evil. And then I read Scott Peck's book, People of the Lie, in which in each chapter, Peck, a psychiatrist, analyzes the clients that he has worked with, his patients over the years, and those that, for whom he could not find an adequate diagnosis. And finally, in spite of the climate of the psychiatric community of that day, he labeled in each of these chapters someone who was evil. There was no psychiatric diagnosis that was adequate to assess the very nature of these people, and Peck decided the best word was evil. And I read through the whole book, and then in the last chapter, Peck says... He was still struggling with what's the nature of evil. And he wrote the word evil in large print on a piece of paper. It was there on his desk. And his son walked by, looked at it, and said, Dad, that's live spelled backward. That, my friends, is the very nature of evil. It is that which opposes God's giving of life. It is that which opposes the enhancement of life. It is live spelled backward. But it isn't just that we learn of this from literature, from films. We know it from our very lives. This past Friday, the movie Oppenheimer was released. Robert Oppenheimer, the leader, the head of the Manhattan Project, wanted to build the atomic bomb for two reasons. One, to get it before the Germans did. But two, he sincerely thought if we developed that bomb and used it, it would put an end to all wars. But my friends, there's always a weed growing in the wheat field. Or think again of the field of virology. We're going to do research. We're going to understand bacteria. We're going to understand vaccines. We're going to understand viruses. And it'll make the world a better place. But my friends, there are always weeds in the wheat field because it also brought us COVID. In politics, those who tell us they're working for fair voting for all while gerrymandering to isolate people and disempower people, unless you think I'm on one side of the political spectrum, both of them do it to the advantage of power 
over the care and respect for people because there always are going to be weeds in the wheat field. The computer is going to be a lifesaver for us. It's going to make life simpler, quicker, and bring us identity theft and pornography at our fingertips because there are weeds in the wheat field. And the latest artificial intelligence, it's going to make life so simple. My first personal exposure to that was a few weeks ago when we got a new telephone system at the Pastoral Institute. And when people leave me messages, due to artificial intelligence, those can be translated and show up on my computer screen as written text. What could be more wonderful? And the very first one I read spelled my name, E-R-R-O-L. My name was misspelled. Because, my friends, the text tells us, while the master is sowing good seed in the field, there is always an enemy who comes by night, and there will always be weeds in the wheat field. There will always be those who oppose the goodness, the righteousness, the grace of God. There will always be those who choose to seek power over the privilege of the other person. There are always weeds in the wheat field. And you know it from your own personal life. I worked as a hospital chaplain in a hospital that did marvelous, incredible medical research. People from all over the world came to this hospital. The hospital had all kinds of brilliant researchers in medical ethics, medical research, the latest technologies, but there are always weeds in the wheat field. I sat in a pediatric meeting with the chairman of pediatrics, the head nurse of the pediatric unit, and heard them discuss a child in pediatrics that could not live. Medically, there was no possibility that this child would live and heard the staff discussing, but should we begin medical procedures for the purpose of research that will be good for others with absolute disregard for the impact it would have on that child? Weeds in the wheat field. Pause for a moment. Think of your own life. And the times you had hope, those moments when you thought things had turned and things were going to be for the better, but they ended up being weeds in the wheat field. It didn't turn out the way you expected. For example, I've done weddings at which a freshly scrubbed young man and a beautiful bride in white came down the aisle and at the end, I pronounced them husband and wife. 
I'd done the premarital counseling that I required. They had impressed me with their commitment and their love for each other. And then two or three years later, they would sit across from me devastated because of the affair. Weeds in the wheat field. I've sat across from my office across from those who tried recreational drugs for the excitement, the interest. And now we're stealing from their family to support their habit. Weeds in the wheat field. There always are weeds being planted in the wheat field. But this is not a sermon on the nature of evil. My purpose of being in front of you is to say in terms of all of those things and so many, many more examples I could give for you. Our text today is not about evil. It is to bring to our attention the fact that evil is a reality, that we confront it sometimes on a daily basis, that we should never look at a situation and assume it's all good because there are always weeds in the wheat field. But this text begins by saying Jesus told them another story. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who planted a field. The purpose of this text is to remind us of the very nature of evil, the reality of evil, a power that seeks power for the sake of power, that that is lived spelled backward. But our text today is a text of good news. In the midst of all of that, we learn some things about our master. There are characteristics that occur in this passage that we hear his personality that is exhibited and enhanced. Notice he has sown good seed, wheat, in his wheat field. And by night the enemy came and sowed darnell. And the first thing we learn about our master is he is a master of perception. The minute his servants come to him and say, "Uh, Master, didn't you plant good seed? There are weeds growing in the wheat field. He already knows. He says, an enemy did this. He didn't pause to talk about client or mislabeling packages and how the wrong seed got in the right path. No, an enemy did this. And we serve a master who recognizes the power of the enemy and the presence of the enemy. We serve a master who isn't surprised that there are weeds in the wheat field. He expects that and is prepared for it. So he quickly says, you servants may be surprised that there's Darnell in the wheat, but I've been around long enough. I've had enough experience to recognize immediately what I put in the field was good seed 
and an enemy is contending for that space, an enemy is fighting for that space, we serve a God of perception. So his servants say, well, well, now that you know an enemy did this, that doesn't help us much with the field. Should we run right out and begin pulling up all the weeds? And we serve a master who's not only perceptive, but a master who's also patient. He said, no, we'll wait. If we pull up all the weeds, we'll also pull up a lot of the wheat. The roots are intertwined between the wheat and the weeds now, We can't pull up the weeds and not pull up the wheat, so we'll wait. God's plan is not to solve all of our problems yesterday or today or even tomorrow. We serve a God who is patient, or to use some language, we serve a God who's willing to wait things out until God's good time. Now, I have to tell you, I am a bit on the presumptuous side. And I often think I know how God should do his job better than he does. I often think my timetable would be so much better than his. Or my plan would be so much more effective than his. Because, my friends, I'm still learning that the God I serve is a God of patience. But his servant often is not. We have a God who is perceptive, who knows evil and sees it and recognizes it for what it is, and a God who is patient and can wait until his good time to settle accounts. But we also have a God who is productive. When I was working on the preparation for this sermon, I read this text in Matthew 13 perhaps hundreds of times. And I always thought what the master was saying is, when the harvest comes, we'll gather the weeds. We'll bundle the weeds for the fire. And the wheat we'll set aside to put in the barn. Some gets burned, some gets barned. And I always thought this was an eternal judgment, but it wasn't. When Jesus told that story, his hearers were well aware of the value of Darnell. They lived in a country with very little wood. So when it came to fires, they needed something they could burn. They couldn't afford to constantly burn trees. They didn't have enough of them. So what they would do is, excuse me, they'd bundle the Darnell dry it out, and use it for cooking, for heating, in the kiln, to make pottery. So Jesus, in telling this story, is not saying that the symbol of the burning of the Darnell is evidence of the judgment of hell. What he's saying is, the master that we serve can take that which is evil, that which is wrong, and finds ways to transform it into that that is productive, useful, and meaningful. Or another way of saying that is, God is not finished with you, 
with me or his task yet. But he won't be dissuaded from it. He won't be persuaded to give up on it. He has a purpose. We serve a God who has perspective, patience, plan for productive end. And when Jesus tells this parable, it's not simply to give us all this information. It does remind us of the very nature of evil, the presence of evil, that which constantly opposes the will of God. While God is inspiring and offering and enhancing life, evil is opposed to, (coughs) diminishes, and tries to extinguish life. But the call in this text is not simply to tell us about a master The purpose of this text is to call us to something. It's to summon us to something greater. This text says to us, as it did to his followers, as Jesus told this story, I want you to align yourself with that which is good. I want you to look where there are sources of light in this world, and I want you to fan the flames. I want you to look at things in life that are life-enhancing, and I want you to join forces and support it. I want you to look where liberty is asserting itself, and freedom is asserting itself, and get behind it. Because if you do, you diminish a few of the weeds in the wheat field. Or I want you to oppose that which opposes life. I want you to fight against that which brings darkness in the midst of light. I want you to be on the side of right. And I want you to oppose that which limits freedom. For Jesus is not talking about a Christian faith that is simply the pleasantness of coming to a wonderful worship service, hearing wonderful music, but is instead a faith that says to us, when we exit, we are people who are called to a cosmic war. Not just, am I going to have a good day tomorrow, but am I going to align my life today, tomorrow, and every day on the side of God's plan on the side of God's call, on the side of that which enhances life, and am I going to stand against that which brings ignorance, limits education, diminishes life, that each and every one of us is called to not only know about the wheat and the weeds, but to decide are we going to be one of the workers in the field when it comes time for the harvest, that goes through the field and opposes the weeds and takes a stance on the side of the good, the wheat. To summarize that, John 10.10. Jesus summarizes his ministry in one verse. He said, 
I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. My friends, look for places where there are signs of life. Fan the flames. For Jesus' message was, I came to bring abundant life. Or as he says again, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim, this is the day of the Lord. Jesus' words were a summon to a great crusade that we would strive for the right and oppose evil in whatever forms we find it. Let us pray. Oh God, you call us to a great task. The immensity of the evil that surrounds us yet is, exce is exceeded by your awareness, your power, and your plan. Help us, O oh God, to align ourselves with your plan, your will, and be equipped with your strength to achieve it. Amen.